have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Well, uh, all right. We can jump into this. Welcome back to another episode of the Tough Buckets podcast. This is either episode 11, 12, or 13, one of those. I, I've kind of lost track at this point, but we're going to start the episode off as we always do. We're going to introduce the host of the podcast. So today I'm joined by Sam Kavan. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing great. Enjoyed a trip up uh, back to Nebraska to get to see everyone for that uh, alumni basketball tournament last weekend, and uh, my my you know ankles and hips a little bit sore i haven't played basketball especially with that kind of intensity in a few months so uh it was a little rough walking on on saturday and sunday but they've they've made a full recovery i'm happy to say yeah i've I've been a little sore too i've been finding weird like court burns all over my body like from diving on the floor and stuff over the last week i didn't know i was getting after it quite that hard but it was a tough tough couple games we played yeah, definitely uh, a little physically demanding, that's for sure. I got a couple 22-year-olds here crying about how their bodies ache and hurt. I mean, r- really? I was going to say, you probably your body's aching without even Dude, playing basketball. I, my, mine aches just <laughs> thinking about getting out of bed. I, I have to I have to talk myself into into getting out of bed because I know the joints are going to hurt. So I, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for you two, just you two young bucks. Hey, hey. All I'm saying is that class of 2014, that's a good, uh, like, man, they had a, a certain 6'6", at least 250-plus dude in there. We figured and, out how oh to take care goodness. of him. They ran a 2-3, could not move him. and We uh, we we did, yeah. Figuring out how to take care of him was we just kept putting subs in until they couldn't move anymore. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They couldn't sub people in and out like, quite like we could. But as you guys heard, I'm also joined by my father, Jason Unger, uh, who is joining us from Omaha, Nebraska. But yes, like Sam said, we had our annual alumni tournament. We ended up losing in the second round, but we ended up getting our first win as a class because last year we went 0-2, and the years before that were canceled due to COVID. So it was cool getting our first win. It saved us uh, from playing at 9 a.m. and the next day. Instead, we got to play at 11. So that was great. We also got to watch a little bit of March Madness together. A uh, game that we didn't get to see that Saturday, the alumni tournament, although we wish we could have, it was on Sunday, was the Baylor versus Creighton game. And I'll I'll let Sam talk about that because I'm pretty sure you made it back to Texas before that game started. Is that correct? Uh, I made it back for the second half because we had to take a few um, – my girlfriend and I had to take a couple pit stops on the way back because uh, neither neither of us <laughs> were feeling in, in, in uh, peak condition, let's just say, on, uh, on Sunday. Um but I got in and saw they were down in the second half, and man, when I mean Creighton played a fantastic game, they shot super well, um, and just uh, Baylor couldn't quite put it together. You thought all season that I mean they had certainly high and low points, um, fairly low heading into the tournament off two or yeah two two straight losses, and going to the tournament they pick up that first round win against a tough uh, UCSB team, but Creighton was a whole different animal. They that was a very popular, I mean, technically not an upset since they're only three seeds away, but a uh, pretty popular pick to pick Creighton over Baylor there. And I was watching Creighton play North Carolina State in the first round and really wasn't that impressed. I knew Baylor would have to contend with uh, their big man in the middle. Um, 
and that ended up that ended up costing Baylor not having a dominant post presence, uh, really on either side of the ball, which is not something that Baylor has had. Um, I mean, the entire time I've been a student since the 2019-20 COVID-shortened season, they really have not had a dominant post presence. So I I believe there's supposed to be some new recruits coming in to fix that. But um, rough, you know, uh, March takes no prisoners, that's for sure. And and they just weren't – weren't quite up to that level of intensity they needed to be at, um, level of execution, and, and Creighton made them pay. Yeah, just uh, going back to the Baylor and Creighton game, I agreed with Sam. I, I was not impressed with Creighton in their first-round game against NC State, and I didn't think that there was going to be any way that they were going to match, be able to match Baylor's physicality, except especially – uh, the way Baylor played in the second half against uh, UCSB. I, so I, I was shocked that Creighton came out and uh, and really kind of took it to Baylor. I mean, I just didn't think they were, you know, capable of, of being that physical, even though, you know, they play in the Big East. So that was a little bit of a surprise to me. I thought Baylor would, you know, kind of wear them down with their physicality, but I have to hand it to Creighton. You know, they kind of uh, proved me wrong and showed that they can play physical, tough basketball. And now, now they have a matchup, you know, with Princeton. And I mean, I, you probably don't want to play them either at this point because they're playing really good basketball. But if you're Creighton and before the tournament, you're told that you're going to play Princeton in the sweet 16. I mean, I think they would take that. I mean, I think they would they, they, they would take those odds. So, I mean, they got to like where they're sitting right now when it comes to, you know, tomorrow night. Yeah, certainly. Uh, got a lot of good games coming up, and uh, we'll be able to talk about those, obviously. But before we get off the college subject, I just want to see, going into, I guess, uh, games have already been played today, but with what's left in the tournament, who are your guys' favorites to, to win it all? Mine is going to be Alabama. I think Brandon Miller is such a nice prospect, and I think we talked. I think we talked about it last episode that he, or maybe this was off recording, but we talked about how he replaced Scoot Henderson as the consensus number two uh, overall draft pick in in the mock drafts. But I think that he's good. I think Alabama as a team is just the most complete team, and honestly, really well coached team. I wasn't really uh, too informed about this team going into the year, but. I didn't even know who Brandon Miller was going into this season, I'm not going to lie, but he's kind of opened a lot of people's eyes, and I can definitely see him leading them to a college basketball championship this year. Yeah, so despite um, my bracket performing terribly this season, my uh, pre-tournament pick of Houston um, is still in the in the tournament, but right now it's hard not to kind of – So I, I mean, I still want to rock with Houston, but it's – Hard to not kind of switch towards Bama. They've been so hot. And um, Jake, like you said, Brandon Miller um, moving up to two on a lot of people's draft boards, um, which is something that I'll definitely bring up later in the podcast, talking about a certain um, blatantly tanking NBA team this year. Um, <laughs> but he, I mean, he's looked great. Alabama's looked red hot. Uh, their game tomorrow – they play tomorrow um, – Man, who do they have? Hold on. San, San Diego uh, State. San Diego. Uh, San Diego State. Yeah, I, I yep. think poor San Diego State's going to get some, uh, run over like like a freight. I mean, Bama's going to come through like a freight train for that one. Maybe not. I mean, it is it is March Madness, but yeah, not looking great for for the Aztecs tomorrow. Um, 
but yeah, I'm rocking with Alabama, and I think Brandon Miller makes a very strong case throughout the rest of the tournament, as he has done all year, to put himself in that number two pick spot. Um, but if he wants to break number one, he's probably going to have to have a few, what, 80-point games here down the stretch. So uh, two <laughs> might be the ceiling for him. Yeah, that might not even do it. Well, what about you, Jason? Two for two on Alabama so far. Yeah, I'm going to go kind of uh, – I mean, it's it's hard to disagree with you guys because Alabama is playing really good basketball. But I'm, I'm going to go with Houston. I think I picked them in my bracket, and a lot like Sam, my bracket is pretty much busted outside of uh, Houston uh, getting into the finals. I just like their team. I mean, they're really talented. Uh, they're athletic. I mean, they're, they're obviously physical. They just got some dudes. I mean, when you just watch them play, it's just like – Holy crap. I mean, all of these guys you could see in an NBA uniform. I mean, they're just they're, they just look the part. So, I mean, I'm I'm going to stay with them as my pick to win it. Although, it wouldn't surprise me if UCLA, I've got a chance to watch them play their first two games and they are talented. I mean, they are long and they are talented and they can score and that game with Gonzaga tonight, uh, that's going to be that's going to be a really good game. I mean, that could be one of the best games of the tournament. Although, like Sam said, uh, the game earlier tonight between Kansas State and uh, and uh, Michigan State was excellent. Went down to overtime, uh, a bucket either way, and uh, K-State ended up winning that game. So, I mean, that was a great game. But I think the one later tonight uh, against UCLA and, and Gonzaga, that, that could be a really good game too. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll have to make sure to catch the highlights of that in the morning. Yeah, I might, I might not make it up. I, I don't think it's starting for another, uh, looks like... Oh, I thought it started uh, maybe, at 9.30. Uh, well, there, it was supposed to start at 8... Yeah, 9 o'clock. It was supposed to start at 8.30. Yeah, yeah so they're, they're going to get going here in a little bit, but I'm like you, Jake. I'm probably not going to make it to the end of that one tonight. Yeah, so no, not a I'll have to, I'll have to check, check, check the highlights in the morning. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you guys know if I see anything good this... Uh, tax busy season for my internship has got me doing some crazy hours i'm like going to hit a workout after after we finish recording here so i'll, I'll be up late so i'll let y'all know if there's anything uh noteworthy jeez it's it's Isn't it's wild man. there too yeah same time it's just, i ugh, you know well plus not really jeez. much to do coming back yeah, to an I... airbnb i'm bored so the Western Conference from when we when we last checked in is still just as jumbled up as it used to be, uh, except for there isn't really a front-running team as obvious as the Nuggets were a couple weeks ago. They've kind of taken some losses recently. Uh, Nikola Jokic's uh, odds to win the MVP have dropped significantly. In fact, I think Joel Embiid is now the favorite to win MVP. I thought I heard that somewhere on some Yes, I, on some I believe that's website. correct. But on yeah. Basketball Reference... Yeah, on Basketball Reference, it still has Nikola Jokic at 61.9% as the MVP tracker at Embiid all the way down at 14. And I, I just don't think that's updated or correct at all. I think Embiid's been outplaying him recently. But as we get closer and closer to the end of the season, the regular season, I should say, uh, the records and teams are starting to kind of cement themselves into, and we can kind of see where things are going for most teams, especially in the Eastern Conference. One thing I will say is I've been seeing a lot of Boston fans, and this is every single year with them. It's never good enough. They're 50-23 and 23 right now, just trailing the Milwaukee Bucks for the one seed by, I think, two and a half games. 
there's talks of well the fans are kind of regret the uh signing of head coach uh joe Missoula. he the intern tab got removed and all of a sudden uh that was basically his protection bubble from the celtics fans as an interim coach he had rooms to make error but now every mistake he makes like not playing Derek white enough when fans say that it's obvious that he needs to be playing more he's not doing it and they already want him fired they're already talking about trading jalen brown again which is a mistake they make every single year it's just it's like a vicious cycle with them but i think they're in great shape i don't know why nothing can ever be good enough for boston fans i don't know sam have you been seeing anything like that uh yeah and and you know i was thinking about bringing this up uh, later too or at least this little point that we talked earlier in the season um there was some graphics someone made through twitter data of like the most negative fan bases and the miami heat were number one and it's the middle of a rougher season but they seem to have like they get upset when their team isn't performing to expectations celtics fans it especially every year like right post trade deadline they seem to be operating under almost like a, a delusional set where if they're not winning every game if everyone's not making perfect decisions if jalen brown specifically isn't having amazing games every night out they get upset and they get antsy and they and they want to make moves and i, I mean there's nothing wrong with that per se but how many times how many seasons has it been in a row that we've seen Celtics fans begging their front office to get rid of their second best player when it's clear that they can make <laughs> deep postseason runs with him being their second best player? Yeah, you you were one game away from being NBA champions last year. I just don't see why. And like, you got to give Joe Mazzulla some time to coach the team. I it's not he hasn't even done it for a full season, and there well, are yeah. I don't know. It's just... And look how rough the first half of the regular season was with uh, Ime Udoka last year. And then they were able to kick it in, and they were scorching hot going into the playoffs. It's been a bit of, of a reverse yeah. this year. Um, and, again, I don't have any problems with fans especially going uh, getting upset if their team isn't playing up to par. But Jalen Brown should be and, – and Joe Mazzulla should be the last two taking any heat for the Celtics – I don't even know yeah. if you can say underperformance because the they're at 50 that wins. Brown has taken, especially over the last two years, has been incredible. I think he's averaging 27 a game this year, which is something that only a handful of players have done in their entire careers. And he's not a player that I think you should just be dangling around in trade discussions because he can technically leave after this season, right? Or I can't remember what his contract was. Maybe he has another it's, year I can guaranteed. Look that up. Hold but on. I can definitely see him. I can definitely see him just walking and saying, look, I'm tired of being in every single trade room or every time a player comes up. And I promise you that opposing GMs, uh, especially in the Eastern Conference, are going to start spreading so many rumors and trade rumors about Jalen Brown specifically that I think it could get to the point where it's so crazy and there's so many different rumors coming out that Jalen Brown is like, okay, I'm done. I'm leaving here. I'm out of here. And the Celtics' little... uh, young core that they've been putting together for the last like half decade is just going to completely fall apart and it all hinges on Jalen Brown. I don't know, Jason, uh, what are your thoughts on the Celtics before we get into our, our next subject? Yeah, I think it's just a huge overreaction. I, I mean, you got to give Missoula some time. Like you said, he hasn't even finished his first season. The team's 27 games over 500. I mean, what? I, I, I don't know what you want from the guy. And then Jalen Brown, I mean, you really want to start uh, dogging that guy and, and and running him out of town? I mean, 
realize what you have, Boston, and, and enjoy what you have. A good young team with a good young coach who honestly has met every expectation, in my opinion. So huge overreaction, uncalled for. Yeah, totally. And the other thing is Boston rarely has their full team healthy on a night-to-night basis. I can't remember the last Boston game that I watched that they weren't missing like a combination of Robert Williams and Marcus Smart here or Malcolm Brogdon and Al Horford in this game. Like they never even have their full team and they have the second best record in the NBA. I just don't, I don't, I don't get the, the Boston sports radio, I think is the culprit of it is what I've heard is they're just always so negative and nothing's ever good enough for them. So (laughs) I just thought that'd be a funny way to kind of get into uh, some talk about some of these teams out in the East, but Our next subject we're going to talk about. So Jason and Sam both picked out two teams that are are overperforming and exceeding expectations, and then two teams that are underperforming and have not been living up to the expectations we had talked about before the season started and even earlier in the season. So uh, we'll start with you, Jason. We'll we'll start on the the sunny side. Who are the two overperforming teams that you picked out? Yeah, so the the overachievers. Uh, I started uh, what I what I set out to do when I started was to come up with an overachiever and an underachiever from the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. So I have one overachiever uh, from the Eastern Conference and one overachiever from the Western Conference, and it starts in the East. And Jake's Jake's gonna know that this one pains me to admit. But I had to uh, make the New York Knicks. Uh, my I knew over, it was coming. Uh, yeah, my overachiever uh, from the Eastern Conference this year uh, are the New York Knicks. I mean, they're 10 games over 500. They're sitting fifth in the East, uh, getting ready to head into the playoffs here. Last year, they were 37 and 45 and missed the playoffs. And Julius Randle has refound, uh, or I guess rediscovered his uh, form that made him an all-star a couple of years ago. Uh, I think he had what a fifty-seven point game here. It was was yeah, threatening to break. Yeah, it was threatening to break uh, Kobe's uh, Madison Square Garden uh, record for most points in a game. I think Kobe has that maybe at sixty-one. I think it was. So I mean, he was flirting with that record. He's playing excellent basketball. Of course, Jalen Brunson's been added to the mix, uh, one of the best offseason acquisitions by far this season and has played you know, really, really well uh, for the Knicks. He's been banged up a little bit. He's missed uh, four or five games. I think he played in the last game, so they're going to try and get him back uh, and ready for the playoffs. But, I mean, if they're healthy, you know, I hate to admit it, uh, just because a couple of weeks ago Jake and I were talking about teams you know the teams that had we didn't think had realistic expectations as far as winning a championship and the Knicks were on my list and now I have them you know as an overachiever but they've accomplished some good things uh this season have played pretty well and I think you know this is a team that can win a first round playoff series I don't know if I'm convinced that they can win a second round series, but they're they're going to make it for my uh, over my overachiever team in the East and in the West. My overachiever, I got to go with OKC. 
with yeah. Chet Hol- yeah, with Chet Holmgren going down before the season started, I mean, all three of us were convinced that they were going to be in the Webb and Yana sweepstakes. I mean, there was no chance that they were going to be sitting in a position to make the playoffs. I mean, they're in the play-in at this point, but they're 36 and 36 and I think they're the a uh, yeah the eighth seed in the Western Conference right now. Last year they won 24 total games, so they've already made a 12 game increase as far as uh, their win total goes this season. I mean, just an incredible you know what SGA's done, and I don't even know how to pronounce their coach's last name. I think it's Dagano. That dude, Dagano. Yeah, that dude. If he's not at the top of the list for NBA coaches, uh, coach of the year, I mean, he's got to be damn near, you know, that the top of that list because the job he's done to win 36 games with that team missing, you know, going in without being able to play with Chet Holmgren, phenomenal job, phenomenal job. Yeah, and the fact that this team is 10th in defensive rating is just crazy because, like you said, Chet Holmgren hasn't played a single game for them. And when you look up and down their roster, you see some good defensive players, but you don't see anyone that can single-handedly carry a team to a top-five defensive rating. I think this team knows how to play with each other. I mean, a lot of these guys have been playing with each other for going on two or three years now, and that's a long time in the NBA, especially with how much players are moving around nowadays. But... The thing I like most about this team is their the pace that they play with. Right now, they're fourth in the league in pace, and Mark uh, Dagonal is a huge reason for that. When you have, you can go from having Shea Gilgis on the court pushing the pace, and then have Josh Giddies, your secondary ball handler, that spells him at the end of the first quarter, and then can also push the pace. Jalen Williams, the the bigger Jalen Williams, is having a great rookie year. He's really had a great second half of the season. I haven't got to watch a lot of Thunder basketball, but I see a lot of highlights. I see a lot of uh, Thunder fans talking on social media, and I think that even if they were a little farther under, all right, technically they're at 500 right now, but even if they were a few games under 500, I think this uh, franchise would still be pretty happy with where they're at because they're going to get another uh, medium-tier first-round pick from their own pick this year. I think they also have like two or three other first-rounders that are going to be uh, 25 or under, I, I don't really know. I'd have to go take a look at what those are going to be. But I think they're really happy with where they're at. And uh, as far as your overachieving team in the East, uh, as, the, for, as far as the Knicks go, they're kind of the opposite of the Thunder. They are like 17th in defensive rating, actually. Let me see. Or 18th in defensive rating, excuse me. But somehow I'm watching this team. I, I do watch some of the Knicks games because – uh, it's easier for me to watch Eastern Conference games, and a lot of their games are on NBA TV. And I just watch this offense, and I'm just thinking, how can they possibly be fifth in offense? I'm just watching Julius Randle post up floaters. I'm watching Emmanuel quickly come off screens and hit threes. Jalen Brunson is just controlling the pace. They're 27th in pace. It's just such a weird combination of things that make this team really good. And I'm not going to lie, it kind of makes me mad. I don't like watching this team. <laughs> so I'm hoping that as it shapes up right now, they, they're going to play Cleveland in the playoffs. And I hope that Cleveland can just put a stop to this New York madness because I just know in my heart that this team is not as good as they've actually been playing. But shout out to Julius Randle. I don't think there's a player in the league that looks more tired after a game than he does. And uh, he's actually played every single game this year. And uh, that we'll talk about that later. But 
yeah, that's that's my thoughts on your teams. Uh, I know I know Sam is itching to get into his teams, but before we do that, is there anything you had uh, to comment on uh, the New York Knicks or the overachieving Oklahoma City Thunder, Sam? Yes, actually, both of those teams I was considering as I, I was torn for that second overachieving team. Those are my second and third option. I mean, you know, like I had my one that it, that we'll get to, and I'm I'm kind of surprised y'all didn't bring up. But um, the Knicks, I feel like watching this Knicks team after the slump they had last year, and and you figured that was going to happen because they overachieved so much two years ago. They overreached so far that how the NBA works a lot with that. It, if you can't capitalize on that momentum, that wave is going to you know take uh, take you out to sea, right? Um, but they've been able to work back from that. Like with the Knicks that that of the last what twenty years, a bad season or regression like that would have sent them into another five year spiral. But thanks to a great pickup in Jalen Brunson, um, as well as like you said, Julius Randle just being out there playing pretty consistently every night. Which, uh, by the way, fantastic Jimmy High Roller video came out today. I mean, his video is always great. But talking about injuries and injuries specifically to superstars and everyone's going down and then you got Julius Randle who despite looking exhausted after every game like Jake said he's always out there producing um great to watch him play I will say I, I kind of agree with you Jake on on seeing the Knicks get eliminated um partly because I'm a Heat fan you know that old rivalry but also I was saying the same he thing just got a around, big win over them they did big win last night um but I was saying this around NFL playoff time. I think the Knicks are kind of similar to the Dallas Cowboys where that, I mean, those are both franchises that have not <laughs> been to the mountaintop anywhere near the mountaintop since Jake and I have been alive, right? I mean, the Knicks haven't won a championship since the 70s, but they haven't even been to the finals since 99. Uh, and then obviously the Cowboys haven't been to the Super Bowl since the 90s. But though you can just tell those fan bases are both – just toxic sleeping giants that if they ever get any sustained success are going to wreak havoc on social media. Um, so when it, when it is exciting exactly to see a big right. market team, like breaking out of a decades long slump, you're like, Oh God, like what's, what's the drawback to that? You know, <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then just with the thunder, I, I think a, another great result of the season, the thunder have had so far, is, I mean, Oklahoma City, not the most attractive place for getting free agents. It's been a problem with a lot of small market teams, uh, but especially for the Thunder, losing big free agents. I think they're making themselves into a more attractive place for free agents. And maybe not those top-of-the-line superstars, but if you're a Thunder fan, then you're imagining that Chet Holmgren is your top-of-the-line superstar in the making, right, assuming he can play next year. Uh, and obviously you have SGA there, but I, I think Oklahoma City is making itself look like a – like. They play basketball selflessly. They like to run. They look like they're having fun. They got a young guys or a young group of guys. Um, I think that's a team that could attract some like second, third tier, like all star fringe players there. And and I think they've really accelerated their rebuild this year. So they, I, I do think they've overachieved. Obviously, this year if they're able to get into the playoffs, I mean the West is kind of is pretty wild this year. But I don't see the Thunder making a deep run. Even so, I think they've done a great job of laying a foundation this year to build off of in future seasons yeah I totally agree I think that the Oklahoma City Thunders rebuild is currently the strongest and best looking rebuild in the NBA and I don't even know if it's really close at this point but uh Sam go ahead and get into your uh overachieving picks yeah so uh, like I, the Knicks and the Thunder were kind of torn for my 
what I was picking for that second team, so I'm glad you brought them both up already. But number one, I mean, it's this was the first team that came to mind to, for me, like, no doubt. It's got to be the Sacramento Kings, right? I mean, yeah. 40, 43 wins on the we, season already. I we had already. to talk about them. Uh, they're, they're clear. They've separated themselves ahead of uh, the fourth seed and below in the West. I mean, obviously, they're two games back on the Grizzlies and uh, probably an insurmountable, what is that, five and a half games back on the Nuggets. Um, yeah, but they, two, were, they were just the number one seed, like, last week for a couple days. Yeah, it's been crazy in the I West. Think. Now now with less than 10 games left, they could still reach for that second. But regardless, to lock up, I, I mean, like, barring a collapse here, which it, it is the Kings, so who knows. Um, but to lock up home court advantage in the West when they have not made the playoffs since Jake and I were in, what, like first grade, second grade, that is insane. I mean, De'Aaron Fox is over, overperformed. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis is overperformed. I remember people were kind of dunking on the Kings when they traded away Halliburton, which obviously Halliburton's an all-star and, and a fantastic young point guard, but Sabonis looks like one of the best big men in the league right now. Um, and the Kings can just score the basketball like crazy. That home court advantage is going to be one of the best, if not the best home court advantages in the first round of the playoffs this year. What a this great year. crowd that they have. Oh, yeah. I mean, and those fans were pretty great even through the 15-plus years of abject horror that their franchise subjected them to. <laughs> and now and now they have an actual, like, legitimately good team that could make a run here in the playoffs, again, with, like, a, a West that doesn't have any top-heavy contenders like the East does. It, I don't know. I, they look great. I'm really excited to see what they do. Um and, and really excited for those Kings fans, which not a lot of them um, around where we're from, but I, I'm really excited for them that they actually have something like legitimate to cheer for. Um, it's going to be a party in Sacramento when they lock up, finally lock up that playoff spot here in the next couple weeks. Yeah, no doubt. And they have six guys scoring in do- double figures for them this year. Rookie Keegan Murray is one of my – I think he's either my favorite or second favorite rookie out of this draft class. It's between him and uh, Benedict Mather, and I think those guys are going to be really good. But he's been playing great, especially in the second half of the season. Malik Monk is just a great player to have off the bench. He's a great shooter, great, uh, pretty underrated playmaker too because he's a good passer when he wants to be. De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis in there pick and roll and their handoff action that they run up at the top of the key and all their off ball movement with Kevin Herter. I think that's the identity of this team. Unfortunately, that's an identity that doesn't play defense. I, I mean, I know we've talked about them all year and the cat, the catalyst with them is they, they just don't play defense. And in the playoffs, if you don't play defense, it's hard to make it out of the first round. I don't think it really matters if they don't make it out of the first round. They've already won over 500%, or they're already over 500. They're guaranteed to be over 500, I should say. And in the Western Conference, that's very impressive considering there's a lot of teams fighting to, to get to that point by the end of the season. And, yeah, I just think the Kings are probably the most fun storyline uh, in the NBA this year. And I, I don't even know if it's particularly close. No, and, and I will say one thing that not to not to put a damper on the the king's wave here but one thing that could be a bit of a ominous storm cloud in the distance their most likely playoff matchups are the suns clippers and warriors so while those would be at home that is devastating news to look ahead and see those teams as a young team with i mean 
does anyone on that team have any like past first round playoff experience? Uh, I, I didn't know. I'm just going to say no. I don't know that for I, sure, but I'm just going to say I, no. I think it's, yeah, I mean, no I, this team. I look at this list I and I'm Kevin like, Herter, I guess. I mean, Matthew Delavadova, kind of, um, if you can count him. <laughs> uh, hey, but that's not, that's not, I was going to say here. Kessler Edwards, but the, the Nets didn't make it out. Yeah, there. Yeah, so so you're like, yeah, uh, yeah. Kings are obviously. I mean, they've been playing better in the regular season, but a lot of that goes out the window when you're playing against uh, Kawhi Leonard and a Paul George, or a Stephen Curry and the Warriors, or uh, well, I mean, Chris Paul in playoffs, but you know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant if he can get healthy. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a battle for the Kings to get out of that first round. But I've loved their story so far. Uh, that what a treat for a team that hasn't made the playoffs in a, in a long time. You either have to play uh, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, or Stephen Curry in the first round. That's just <laughs> it's not fun to think about. Yeah, like welcome back to the show, right? But uh, yeah, well, I mean, if there's gonna be a team that can catch those guys lacking if they're not healthy and they're not playing up to uh, how we expected them to play in the season, I think the Kings can technically outscore and upset a team in the first round it is definitely possible but it's oh definitely not something and, that i see happening and you two talked about um uh last week or a couple weeks ago talked about the warriors and how just absolutely terrible they are on the road and again the kings have essentially i mean barring a massive collapse have locked up first round home court advantage um which at this point watching the warriors could be just an automatic win regardless of how good your team actually is um so <laughs> I, they Although it sounds weird to be saying a team is praying to get Steph Curry in the first round. Uh, I mean, if I'm the Kings and the Suns drop a few games here and I have to play Kevin Durant, I'm uh, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul, I'm probably not very happy. But we'll see. No, not at all. Not at all. So uh, what do you have for your uh, disappointing teams, Jason? Well, Sam didn't even get to his other overachiever, did he? Oh yeah, didn't uh I just said it. I was between the the Knicks and the uh the Knicks and the Thunder the whole time. So I was just going to let you two ride with that. I couldn't okay. I was I was yeah, thinking so today was, at work and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I couldn't pick between the two. They're both gotcha. overachieving in different ways. Um so I'm glad that you covered them both cuz that makes me not right. have to pick between them. Yeah. All right. So yeah, then I can get to my underachievers and uh we'll start in the East. I decided to go with the Raptors. Um, I, I just, we talked about them around the trade deadline, and we were just certain that uh, OG Ananobi and uh, Fred, uh, Fred Van Vlan Vliet uh, were going to be traded away or were going to find a new home, but they decided to stand pat. And, and it's, they're just a confusing team to me. I mean, I just, when you look at that starting lineup and you have uh, Pascal Siakam, who's having a great year, uh, Scotty Barnes, uh, obviously a, a great two-way player. You got Ananobi, uh, Van Vliet, and then Gary Trent, uh, they picked him up from Portland. And uh, he was playing really well for most of the first half of the season, but he's been sidelined for the majority of uh, the games after the All-Star break with an injury. So he's kind of been out of the lineup. But when you look at that lineup and those five guys, I mean, you, you should be better than 35 and 38, in my opinion, through 73 games. I mean, this is a perennial 
uh, lock to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. I mean, they won 48 games last season. Uh, Philadelphia bounced them in the first round of the playoffs last year. But, I mean, they won 48 games. I mean, we're not that far removed from Kevin Lowry and DeMar DeRozan leading that team to an NBA title. Uh, to me, uh, Nick Nurse, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for him. I think he's a great coach. But to me, I just feel like the Raptors have underachieved this year. Uh, I think that's a team that should be better than 35 and 38 through 73 games. And then my second team, as far as an underachiever, I'm going to go out west and maybe unfairly list the New Orleans Pelicans as as a disappointment. I know, Mm. obviously, yeah, obviously they played the majority of the season without Zion. And when he was playing, Jake and I talked about, you know, them being uh, the best team in the West. I mean, people were talking about that when they had their full complement of players. But unfortunately for them, injuries have kind of stolen their season, um, you know, and they're, they're 35 and 37 you know, sitting, you know, right on the edge of either making it into the playoffs, making it into the play-in, or being left out. And uh, so maybe a little bit unfairly, just because of all the injuries that they've dealt with, uh, I have the Pelicans as my uh, second underachiever so far this year. I I think that's totally fair because I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this right, but they started the season a little bit without Zion and were winning games. And they were even the one seed for a while, and we praised them for a long time. But for some reason, they just can't stay healthy. They can't figure out – I mean, part of it is just it's a different team out on the floor every night. So it's hard to get continuity because the team without Zion Williamson is a lot different than the team with Zion Williamson because they play through him quite a bit when when they're finding success. And, yeah, there's just not much to say about the Pelicans besides they just can't keep their best two players healthy at the same time and – when they're not on the court, they are not winning games. And when they are on the court, they're one of the best teams in the, in the league. But right. not only right. have they fallen out of the one seed, they've fallen out of the playoff race completely because now they're the 12th seed in the West, and they'd be right. lucky to get a play-in game. They're going to have to be yeah, red hot you know, down the stretch. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think they only have nine games left. But if you look at it, they're sitting 12th. But they're three games out 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 of the sixth spot, which is held by Golden State, who's thirty eight and thirty six. So that just shows you the middle ground in the Western Conference. I mean, yeah, there's only eight, nine, ten games left for a lot of these teams, but there's a lot that can happen here over the next two and a half, three weeks of the regular season. I think those are two great picks for underperforming teams. We've talked about Toronto a lot this year and how going into the season, I think we thought they were going to be a great team. I mean, you just look at the starting lineup they had and you just see talent everywhere. And to see them struggling to fight for a play-in spot, it just doesn't make a lot of sense, especially with Nick Nurse as the coach. And we've seen him coach great, great championship teams. It's just it's very confusing, and I think Toronto has to be the number one disappointing pick out of the East. But we'll get to Sam. Sam, what were your uh, underperforming picks this year? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the standings right now just to talk about Toronto. And uh, Toronto and the Bulls, as the uh, 9 and 10 seeds respectively, are set to have the uh, underachieve off 
first play-in game there because, dear God, both of those teams <laughs> came in with really, – I mean, we didn't expect them to win 50 games, but, man, like closer to 500, and I don't think either of them are going to get there. Uh, should be an right. entertaining game if that's how it falls out. Um, I'll start with the West. I, I did go um, – well, I considered the Pelicans. I was like, eh, like disappointing, yeah. I decided to give them a slight break just because I'm holding on to hope that maybe next season they can stay healthy for more than, what, like three combined games all season. Um, <laughs> and, and with the West, I just I, – I was looking at how well the Kings were doing and how much the Knicks have overachieved and kind of separated themselves from that sec lower half of the East. And I'm looking at the West and, and just the way it's all muddled kind of just – like why is that happening it's because there's three teams that all came in with top five championship odds this season in the uh suns clippers and warriors and i couldn't pick between the three because also i feel like their problems are uh, a lot kind of of the same type here but for the suns clippers and warriors to all just barely be above 500 and scrapping it out in the middle of the conference i think if you're part of any of those fan bases i mean it's tough to be totally disappointed like a pelicans fan would be there but you got to be a little upset with how your team's been playing i mean all three of those guys were like easy 50 wins uh running deep in the playoffs and at no point during the season have any of those three teams looked like yeah that's a finals winning team no right not one time at least to my opinion and no, and, and there's been some injury problems with a lot of them, and I know Phoenix picked up Kevin Durant then had him go down with that freak warm-up injury almost instantly, so we haven't seen them in their final four yet, or final form yet, but I just, they haven't, like, if I'm a team, another team in the Western Conference, I they I, I look at their roster and, and they make me nervous, but watching them play on the court would not make me nervous. Uh, man, the the West is just a big pool of disappointment, huh? It's probably not hard to choose a team out of there. No, and, and that's yeah, why I went with all three of them. You can come up with uh, any number of teams in the West, yeah. And, and, and I mean, you can even throw the Lakers in there. I, I mean, the, the Dallas Mavericks, you could throw them in there as far as yep, being a yep. disappointment. I mean, it seems like the, t- the Timberwolves are a perennial disappointment, but I mean... They're sitting around that 500 mark, really haven't went one way or another uh, to the either side of 500 for the whole season. So, yeah, it's just a muddled, a muddled uh, ball of mediocrity in, in the Western Conference this year. And real quick before we get off this subject, if I had to pick a team from the West that's the biggest disappointment and it's a team that kind of sucks because we were so high on them going into the season – I think it is the Clippers by far because you look at the standings, they're fighting off OKC for that fifth spot. OKC's only two and a half games behind them. And you look at the trade they made three years ago to acquire Paul George, and now Paul George goes down with an injury that might keep him out for the rest of the season, depending on how they do in the play-in slash first round. And the Thunder are sitting there with an all-NBA caliber player, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who at this point is just a better player than Paul George. And on top of that, all the draft picks that the Clippers had to cough up. So I don't think if you're the Clippers owner, Balmer, and I just I just don't know how you could sit there and justify looking at the million, the hundreds of millions of dollars you spent <laughs> on the luxury tax and signing players and getting players through injuries for multiple years and saying, oh, well, next year we'll get everyone healthy and we'll, we'll put a run together. And it's just never has happened. So I think for me, the Clippers have to be the most disappointing team in the West. Well, 
And not to mention the Clippers' brand-new stadium that they're putting in. Right. Oh, yeah. I can't, right. can't, can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, they, they've got to pay for that. And like Jake said, you know, Balmer's writing some big checks to that roster. A lot of dudes on that mm-hmm. roster are making a lot of money. Because, I, I mean, I was going to name the Pistons as, as my most – I'm going to say most disappointing team in the league this year. And I know they came in with low expectations. Um, I mean, they're over under, but here's the kicker, right? They came with low expectations. They had the same preseason championship odds as the Thunder and the Kings. And an over under of wins at 29 and a half, which means that they should have at least been competitive for a play in spot through the all-star break, right? Like by now, by now, maybe you're like, eh, okay, like let's drop these last few games, get better draft position, blah, blah, blah. The Pistons are have 16 wins. Like at their current rate of winning, they they will they shouldn't even hit 19 wins on the season. They're going to be worse than both of those terrible two Texas teams and the Spurs and the Rockets. And not only that, they have not even had been able to have any significant development out of their best player in Cade Cunningham because he's been hurt all season, which is not their fault. But this is a total loss season. If they end up with I mean, honestly, if they don't end up with the first pick, they're going to be upset. But especially if their pick falls out of the top three, which I looked at the lottery odds today, and the top three teams are guaranteed to be in the top five picks. Or, or sorry, the worst three teams in the league are guaranteed to have a top five pick. But that means the Pistons yep. could end up picking fifth after winning 16 games. And I'm look, I looked at their schedule today. They have not won a game against a team currently in the play-in or playoff of either conference since they beat the Nets on January 26th, which is right when the Nets were going through all of their, um, you know, their superstars trying to leave the team. Uh, so not exactly the most together team. They have not beaten a pl- even a play-in team in almost two months. Um, never at any point of the season after the first three games of the season, have they even been within one game of 500? It took them th- after that fourth game of the season, they were one and three, and they never got closer to 500 than that. Um, not only that, they have not gotten a single win against a top five team in either conference right now. And I checked their not schedule. Not they only have not one. They only have one game left against a team that's top five in either conference in the Bucks uh, coming here next week. So if they lose that, that means at minimum, and they've probably played a few more games. I just didn't want to bother to look because I don't know if they're worthy of that much time. They went 0-20 against the what are essentially the top 10 teams in the NBA this year. 0-20. Like, wow. usually you tune into an NBA game in the regular season. You're like, oh, who knows? I mean, uh, this let's all oh, the bucks are on the road. Like, uh, Chris Middleton's out. Giannis is out. Maybe the Kings can get someone hot and go crazy. Uh, nope. They they never they basically never had a chance at beating anyone good this year and and I mean yes they weren't going to be a probably not going to be a playoff team obviously they weren't a championship even con- close to contending team you have low expectations coming in but goddamn I, I mean can't you give your fans at least a chance on a night by night basis <laughs> like if I'm a Kings fan they have one of their I can't imagine more than five nationally televised games of a year what's getting me to tune in if I know that there's no shot they even have a chance at beating a top team. <laughs> a zero percent right. chance. A zero percent wow. chance, and and I don't that's like a pretty compelling. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty compelling argument for the, the top underachieving team that Sam just made right there. That's for sure. And, and I know yeah, they came I, with low expectations, and 
and, and and their goal this year was to get probably get I mean they're not going to admit that but to get a high lottery pick and and they're going to do that but there's constructive ways of rebuilding like teams like the Pacers have done this year um I mean the Thunder yes yeah the Thunder have had a great constructive rebuild this year obviously the Kings took a giant leap even the Magic yeah, they you, were only they were yeah, they've and, won more games than yeah, they were and, supposed to. Yeah, and Utah, throw Utah in there. Yeah, and what's what all these really bad teams have in common is they've had they've put together stretches where like the Rockets have put together two weeks of basketball where they look like a respectable team. So have the Magic, so have teams like I, even the Spurs when before they started starting guys from the G League early in the season. They they had a couple great games when they had Pirtle on the floor and all these bad teams right. have that in common where they put together a decent stretch, but the Pistons have just been consistently awful. They have given nothing. Like as so a, as a, especially in the NBA, there's a clear talent gap between the first and the worst team in the league. You're a Pistons fan coming into the year. You know you're not going to win a championship. You know you're going to be competing for a high lottery pick, which means losing a lot of games. But you want to have hope for the future, right? Like, at this point, if you drop prime LeBron on that team, I don't even know if he could drag him to the playoffs. Like, that's how bad they've been. Um, which means that even if they do Ooh, land Wembenyama, yeah, yeah. even if even if they have a perfect offseason, they're still two seasons away from being a playoff team, is what this year has told me, at least. Yeah. Right. I mean, we are talking about a team that is starting James Wiseman and Marvin Bagley as their front court <laughs> in the last few yeah. games. So, yeah. if that tells you anything. Yeah. So, uh, on that note... We'll get out of here on a little trivia. I wanted to start off with an offensive trivia question because of just the absolute explosion of offense that we've seen individually from from players and just the high offensive ratings that teams have put up this year. And an underperforming team we talked about earlier uh, was the Chicago Bulls. And right now, the Chicago Bulls have the 24th ranked offense or the 24th highest offensive rating in the league, which is not very good, right? It's at 113.2. Where do you think that – I'm going to get a couple guesses from both of you. Actually, just one guess from both of you. Currently, they're 24th in the league with 113.2 as their offensive rating. Where do you think that ranks them all time in when it comes to offensive ratings? Every single team from any year, dating back to the oh, 80s, God. actually. Sorry. All time. Oof. If they're 24th this year at 113, where do you think that would put them all time? Ah. Uh. I'm going to I'm going to guess it's going to be like I'm going to guess like uh I'm going to say 11th all time when they're 24th this yeah. year? Well, technically they wouldn't yeah, they they're 24th this year so that would technically be impossible. Oh, I, I, I maybe I'm <laughs> yeah. I, I'm probably misunderstanding the question. Yeah. So yeah. if they're if they're 24th in offense this year at 113 do you, where do you think do you think 113 is your offensive rating is going to get you into the top 100 offensive ratings of all time is basically the question yeah yeah pr- probably not yeah what yeah not now that you explained it, uh, it 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 makes more sense to me what what you were saying so okay well, oh, what about man. you sam i would have guessed i mean gut feeling is telling me it's still pretty good because I know scoring has picked up a lot in recent years, at least compared to the nineties on, like I know That's teams, what I was were, teams were scoring That's what really I was well in the eighties. Um, but it's been really crazy these last few years, but even so 24th, I, I'm gonna go like 200th. Okay. 
so get ready for this. When you guys think of all-time great offensive teams and teams that, you know, just changed the way basketball and offense was played and how we look at it, you guys think of, like, those early Phoenix Suns teams with young Steve Nash when he was winning MVPs and, you know, like when they started the to push the pace on offense a little bit. You think of yeah, that seven as seconds one of the greatest or less. Teams of, uh, offensive teams of all time, right? And mm-hmm. – that means they are tied for 89th with this year's Chicago Bulls offense as the 89th best offensive rating of all time. The One of the greatest wow. offenses we've ever seen is tied for pretty much the worst offense in the league this year. Yeah, that's crazy. Good Just Lord. insane. Wow. I couldn't believe that when I saw that. Yeah, and you don't even – I mean, we don't even consider the Bulls, you know, obviously – I mean, let alone one of the greatest offensive teams of all time. I mean, we don't even <laughs> we don't even consider them a playoff team this year. I mean, I know they're on oh. the, on the cusp right now, but I, yeah, I don't even look at them as a playoff team. And like you said, that Steve Nash team. I mean, that was I would regard that team as you know uh, an excellent team. So that yeah, and get this. Their offensive rating is this year is better than I think four of the years that MJ won a championship there. Wow! And okay. they can't even they might not even they might not even get out of the play-in. We just talked about them as being right. one of the um, the biggest wow. underachievers in the East this year. <laughs> they have right. a top one hundred offense of all time. That just shows you how crazy the offensive production is now in the NBA. I mean, and how many points these teams are scoring. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Another crazy scoring trivia question I have for you guys before we get out of here. Joel Embiid is currently averaging. Well, I took this five days ago, so his average might be a little different. But he, when I took this note, he was averaging 35.3 points per game. There have only been three other players since 1980 to average more than oh, that. Oh, since 1980. Since 1980, okay. there's only been three players, and a couple of them have done it multiple times. So – who are the three players that have averaged more than 35.3 points per game in an NBA season? Not counting Will, obviously, I, I with one. the 1980 qualifier. I know once. Yeah, yeah 1980. Yep, right, right. I, I, I definitely know James Harden did it. Yep. yep. He's done it Am two I right? times. Okay. I think two I times. have all three okay. on this one, actually. So that means Sam and I have to come. You think you have all three? I who, think who I do. your other two guesses? So in addition to James Harden um, – I, I'm pretty sure Kobe Bryant did it, unless it comes right down to percentage points, because that was in the one of those mid 2000s years that people always complain about Steve Nash getting MVP over him because he was having 35 a game. And mm-hmm. then I know yep. that I, I'm 90% sure I know that Jordan has uh, like the highest non wilt scoring season where he had like 37 a game at some point in the 80s. I think it was 38. And yeah, 30, Jordan oh, wow. has scored more than yeah. 35 three times. Harden has done it two times, and Kobe has done it one time. And Embiid is about to join that group this season if he can maintain above 35 points per game, which I can definitely see him doing. So if you set – if you, I mean, find some way to mess with the statistics to cut Wilt out, he is the only non-shooting guard, or you can call Harden a point guard, so the only non-guard to average 35-plus basically in the modern NBA. Isn't that crazy? Look at the players we're talking about. James Harden, Kobe, and Jordan – three of the highest usage players of all time and now a center is joining that that group it's just it's a crazy crazy thing we're witnessing here that is insane yeah 
My 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 pick for MVP, dude. I'm, I'm just yep, throwing I think that. He's, I, 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 think I he's gotta say, he's it. wearing on me. He, and he was my preseason pick. There's a big. Um, there's I I believe unless I misread this, I think that out of these last nine or ten games, every team has, the Nuggets and Sixers have yet to play each other a second time this year. Um, so while a head-to-head matchup shouldn't really determine who MVP is, and I know Embiid went crazy in their first game they played against each other this year, uh, at least for social media discourse, I think that game could do a lot for the conversation. Yeah, that's right. coming up next right. week, isn't it? That's, I mean, or it has to be within the next two weeks, I, guess it I think. it has to be. Yeah, I guess it technically has to be since the season is over in a couple weeks. All right, but uh, yeah, do you guys have anything else you wanted to cover before we get out of here today? Um, no, I just, yeah, um, I, I can't think of anything. I think I do have the Gonzaga UCLA game on in the background and a minute left in the first half. UCLA is up 13. Um, they're outscoring Gonzaga and fast break points 13 Mm. to two or sorry, not fast break points. That's points off turnovers are 13 to two. So, uh, Gonzaga has got to get it together in the second half or they're going to get made fun of for yet another year for winning a bunch of games and not winning the championship. So. Uh, r- r- <laughs> yeah, r- rough time for them. No. All right. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed. We'll catch you in the next one. Thanks, guys.